one. Uh, struggled. I didn't know if I should do local or cloud, but I'm on a laptop. This is uh, office hours, uh, Miami version, slash only Tyler in Miami, but uh, in Batsville in India. Um, but uh, still grateful to be here. Nice to see everyone. I was saying to the team before this, this is uh, a fragment of myself that you see here now. It's been a long week in Miami, but a lot of fun, a lot of lessons learned, and excited to bring that back into the, to the team and the company and everything we do. So um, I'm going to stop for a second. I am uh, Tyler, CEO, um, and you're just feeling very inspired by everything that transcended over the last week and excited to get back to restructure and routine so we can continue growing this thing. Uh, this is Lauren, the accountant. I'm feeling less of an accountant and more of a administrator this week, just having a lot of fun with all of this transcribing management. And I'm hoping to do more work like that too, because it's a breath of fresh air from accounting and learning more about different things. Hey everyone, uh, Nihal, a digital strategist here at Speak. Um, yeah, I mean, th this week's just been, it's been a very strange week. Lots, lots to deal with, with daylight savings, uh, you know, pulling, pulling uh, a daylight savings and stuff. So yes, yeah, still adjusting brains, brains is a bit wired, uh, need some tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, hello everyone. This is Vatil, uh, joining from India. It's uh, 1030 here and uh, uh, it's been a productive week. Uh, lots of things were going on, so excited about that. And uh, yeah, continue sharing a few more things we have learned. Uh, uh, yeah, in this week, and and it's been it's been a normal week uh, for the office hour. Uh, last week I had a couple of things to go because it was Diwali, uh, but yeah, I'm excited to be here today. Hey, wonderful. That's why you, you brought a couple uh, topics to the table here. So do you want to start off with one that uh, that you want to go over most? Actually, let's start with the Miami. That's the uh, oh, wow. thing. we all will we all uh, will uh, know more about it and see how just told, I just told you I can barely speak. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, no, uh, the Miami was very cool. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I'm actually tanned or if it's just the lighting in this room, to be honest, but uh, I'll take it either way. Um, yeah, so I went down to the conference for Microdose, uh, it's a Wonderland conference, and um, almost 2,000 people there, which was pretty impressive, to be honest, for, you know, the first real sort of conference of this, this kind, and a lot of very credible people, so... Um, some people would call it a healthcare conference. Some people would yeah, be more specific and use the term psychedelics. Um, but it was, you know, great to see a lot of people for the first time in person that I had, you know, connected with virtually for a long time. I learned a lot from going back to a conference like, you know, that's when you and I, before this pandemic, we had started to do a couple sort of trade shows, like, you know, not just small ones, but like had that experience and you learn a lot of those experiences, especially, you know, if you're setting up a booth or whatever you're doing to try to make an impact. Yeah, right, you know, like you realize, you realize it's an amazing, especially after two years, you know, almost two years virtually, you know, that it's a very impactful thing to be in person there. And, and you can tell too, just that a lot of people were looking for sort of validation and trust. I would like that, like if you're working with someone virtually that now you can actually talk to them in person and feel their energy. Are they a good person? Do they have good intentions? Are they truly the people you want to work with? So there was a lot of like feeling out of people who had had engagements before, but didn't necessarily know each other in person. So that was like one thing I noticed that was a big feeling out process, especially in this case in psychedelics, it was an emerging, very emerging, emerging industry. Um, one thing that I really learned from this, uh, I was talking to a guy who was a speaker uh, on it. And, um, you know, he just basically said, you know, I, I was like, he just asked to be a speaker. And I realized like, you know, throughout this entire time that had not really occurred to me, you know what I mean? Like why I had such a good relationship with the microdose team. Why did I not just ask and say, Hey, can I go up on a panel, uh, for something? And, you know, for me, that was such a, a, a big moment of, you know, you don't get what you want unless you ask for it. So I had sort of that realization that there was an opportunity there you know, for us to share what we're doing and share that, you know, we're obviously working with some good companies in the space and also cover a topic and important part of what that space is trying to figure out that wasn't covered. I didn't hear any talk about it across the entire time. And I actually think it's a very important thing that should have been discussed. So learn from that too. You also have quite a bit of experience when it comes to like uh, 
you're giving a lot of lectures when it comes to like marketing too. And that seems yeah. like much more up the, the alley of what the actual conference is about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that too, right? And I just, I know, you know, what I work very hard on my life and, you know, like all of us here, you know, you, you, you work hard on communication and articulating your vision and mission and also just a passionate person. So it doesn't matter, maybe a couple, you know, a couple minutes, you can make it, you can connect with people and that's 1200, 1500 people who are sitting in an auditorium that you can make an impact on. And so I'm a little disappointed. I, I, for some reason, I didn't, you know, make that connection or that didn't come together. And what I, you know, what I realized from that is just, again, you know, what, you know, have to make the ask of what you want to do and you have to take the opportunity to, to share when you get that. And uh, so, you know, learned a lot from that process. Saw also the presence of, you know, wealth, I would say what I'm trying to think, say, like well-funded companies who are, yeah, injecting their people into everything they can be. Because you really realize it's not just, you know, meetings and stuff, it's just, marketing you know like what is actually happening so definitely learned a lot through that process i'll, I'll shut up for a minute if you have any questions i'll see if there's any other points uh of being it but definitely some insights from that perspective um and overall just seeing even if it's artificial because they had for example a speak an applicate like an app like if you you know uh you could connect with everyone and so a couple of people i talked to were speakers said that they just got a crazy amount of messages all the whole time where i got just got a few just because you know, people saw on stage and the profile of the speaker thing. So even if it's just for five minutes, that opportunity is a big one at a conference. So another lesson there that, that I saw. Probably next year, it's like, if, if you don't find an opportunity, uh, create the opportunity or build the opportunity for, for yourself or you in the future. And another thing is for the conference, specifically for the psychedelic, it's like we, we talk with so many companies in this domain and, uh, not to just say, but it's like we heard sort of the same problems less the script every single time. And uh, we do have the problems and, and have the solutions for the same thing. Uh, so, I mean, to be honest, in my words, it, it could be the great opportunity if you were on the stage and it's like talk about the, the real problem we see and it's like what we are trying to achieve. Uh, not with the speak here, but in general with the space. It's, it's not about the platform. It's more about helping people at the end. It's like, or it's like, what problems are you trying to solve and help others? Yeah, that, that's a bit what I felt too. Like, obviously there's companies there, they've got a lot of money invested in and, you know, need to promote the company. But, you know, we've seen a, a legitimate problem emerge that um, companies are struggling to figure out. And it would have been nice to sort of share that. Also just a great way to connect and make new friends in life too. Um, people resonate. There's a couple of people who I watch talk and it was like, oh, you know, I want to connect with this person now. And I think those are beautiful opportunities that you get. So, um, you know, just when you have opportunities, make sure that you, you take them. And then when you do show up as the best version of yourself and a lot of good things could happen. And that happened throughout the entire week because you get in conversations and people see you're a good person, you care and lots of good doors and opportunities open. Uh, and I'm proud of our whole team for, for having that. It's like if you stick someone in a room, um, you know, people can see that they're, they're good, intelligent people. Was there anything that you uh, learned from the conference, either from like an actual presentation or maybe just like a one-on-one -on -one conversation? It doesn't have to be about uh, business essentially, but maybe just, you know, psychedelics or personal relationships. I guess the, the one thing that, you know, you see it's a very emerging, like a very emerging industry. So this is like sort of the first sort of official business conference kind of thing. So a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, you know, basically what people believe are a lot of companies that are going in will disappear. They're not going to make, most of these companies will not be here in five years, which that's a really you know, sort of wild thing to, to think about. They did some really nice panels on investors who are, you know, valuing companies, investing in companies. So some really interesting things around due diligence, how they invest, how like inflated valuations specifically in this space are, are bad for the space and the entire industry. Um, and lots of like really interesting insights. I'm definitely still processing a lot of things and I've been sort of overwhelmed by people the whole time, but I'll be doing uh, some journaling and, and stuff and trying to pull out some, you know, even bigger takeaways um, from the week. But I think one of the things I said this morning in the meeting is also like that energy of um, being in person is very invigorating. And sometimes it's just hard to leave. So it's something I met, you know, I love working virtually because of the, you know, the flexibility, but that 
the inspiration that came from just seeing people in person uh, is, is really worthwhile. And, and, you know, I would like to make an effort to see how we can get people back into physical spaces as we continue to grow. It's a lot I think like... so that's what we are also going to see uh, in general for other companies too. Yeah, it's a, I was going to say it's a lot of like the flexibility of like one's own personal life. You can have a lot more decision of how you, um, you know, spend your day when you're working virtually. But like when it comes to actually working in person, um, it's not so much about like what you can do, you know, uh, like how you decide to live out your day. It's kind of like you have responsibilities because there's someone right there in front of you too who are they have their own expectations of you but like when you're by yourself and you're just talking to someone over like a screen it's such a disconnect it's such a uh you just um i don't know maybe it's it's better for more introspective people who are more concerned with like their own lives but uh there's a lot of people out there who need uh, a connection there to get the energy from other people and to work together i don't know I found it was really interesting. Everyone that you meet virtually, uh, there's only like basically smaller or taller. Like that was the whole experience the whole entire time. So, you know, like, I don't know, actually you had a chance to talk with David Champion from Maya Health. For some reason, I thought he was a small guy. It's like six three. It's you know what I mean? Wow. And I was like, I was like, wow, I did oh. not expect that. And, uh, wow. and I just had some hilarious... I had a, I had this hilarious moment where this guy who he, he we'd connected a few times, he was talking to me and he's like, man, you're so much bigger than I thought. That's what he was saying to me. He's like, you must be, you must be like six, three. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm five eleven. And the funniest thing was he was five eleven, And I was looking okay. at him right in the eyes. Like he had no, no, uh, no adjustment of, of height. So it was, it was pretty, it was pretty funny just to have that, that moment and a, a lot of, a lot of that. So, um, yeah. and I think one, just one last trend I've seen actually in the last few weeks, I've seen it emerge is a lot of companies I followed who are sort of startups. They actually sort of gave away their offices while they were, um, during the pandemic. And I, it may, I mean, maybe it's good for them, but I've seen a lot of WeWork uh, videos lately. So companies using WeWorks for in-person get-togethers, specific, specifically in Toronto, but also some other cities, uh, which is, you know, I think a, a signal of that, that these companies, you know, they're, they're taking time out of the day, some of these people, very valuable time to go into an office, go into a WeWork and, and spend time in person. So, yeah. What's WeWork? Is that like some sort of software for everybody's it's a massive you know massive company that just bought up real estate offices across the world and uh so they are like co-working space it's almost like innovation works but very businessy very fancy places uh to be honest so they're quite you know it's an interesting storyline if you ever want to look it up about the scandal uh an ipo and, of yeah but uh you know they and with the pandemic, obviously ran into some problems, but it shows that these sort of co-working spaces actually have a lot of value. And Innovation Works was actually seeing the same thing. They ended up filling up their entire office again after the pandemic. So, um, so we were like a real estate kind of company that's just buying up all these co-working spaces. So they call themselves a technology company, but it's 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 office space. It's just a giant co-working yeah. like yeah. conglomerate, yeah. essentially. Run by a very uh, well, not a, yeah, a very interesting, very character. special. special <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely not. It's definitely not the real estate company to say. No, no. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, on that theme, right? Because I was actually reading, so, like Brian Chesky, like the Airbnb uh, co-founder, like had a thread on Twitter the other day where he was talking about how the pandemic has actually been, like Airbnb usage has like skyrocketed during the pandemic, right? Because now you have a lot more people traveling, working from different countries, like the, the whole like digital nomad uh, trend, I mean, for better or for worse, like really did um, explode a bit during the pandemic, right? Because especially now with some larger company, like Shopify, for example, like they're hiring globally, right? Um, and obviously they're doing that. They make it seem like it's a, oh, we're, we're, we're such an open forward thinking company, but it's just, we want to hire for cheap and, you know, get the same level of talent for <laughs> less money, essentially. Right. Um, but it, it is, uh, it is a good, uh, I think it's a good 
development just in terms of like flexibility because now i think we're shifting a bit from a time-based uh, economy hopefully at least to you know one where output and actual results are hopefully valued more because otherwise you just end up you know logging hours and you know do, doing the same thing in 20 20 hours but just logging in 40 hours for the sake of it right yeah. That's interesting. Um, Would you guys rather be paid more so on your output or your hours? D- depends on how defined the output is. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the outcome. What what are the outcomes yeah. looks like? Yeah, it's it's I, like the the scope of the project. Yeah, simple as that. Because when you look at it, even from like a fr- like if you look at freelance work, for example, you could make quite a bit of money doing freelance work if you're getting paid for specific end goals, right? So if uh, you've defined, let, let's say you're a Google Ads specialist, right? You've defined that here is my three month commitment to you. Here's all the things I'm gonna do. And here are the expected results, right? And, and it's, it's not like your work is necessarily performance-based, but you've actually scoped out you know, your time, how long you think it's gonna take you, and then expected results at the end and then you you have your rate whatever that rate is right and i I think that's good because uh, it does vary based on uh, the types of jobs too i suppose but it's like if you as a professional have maximized your kind of workflow and you know you can get the same results in let's say 25 hours that someone else needs 40 hours to do I feel like your output shouldn't necessarily be uh, valued less just because, you know, if, if anything, it should be rewarded that you did it faster, right? Faster for the same level of quality versus like when it comes to time spent working, right? Which a lot of agencies do, right? They bill by like 15 minute increments or whatever it is. Yeah. It's a lot, and, of, uh, a lot of easier to measure by time than actual output. Oh, exactly. I mean, that, that's why so many large companies do it. Right. But I think there is a, I, I don't know how that changed, but, you know, for, for instance, I have a, uh, a friend of mine that basically has optimized his, his kind of work responsibilities for about 20 to 25 hours of work. But whereas his colleagues still take 45 to 50 hours to do the same thing. So in a way, even if, if the business is still, so he's getting paid 40 hours. But now he has that extra 15 hours to do other things, right? Whether that's like more things for the company or more things for himself, whatever avenue he chooses. <laughs> isn't it called the experience in the, the one word? If you just want to say it in one word, isn't it called the experience? Because of the experience, you can do the task in 25 hours rather than spending 40 hours for something. Oh, uh, sure. because you have yeah. learned you have learned throughout the processes like how you can automate or how you can reduce your time with respect to those particular tasks like that's what you're saying like your first year it takes you 40 hours to do one task and then next year you understand how to do it, it takes you 20 hours this was i mean this was the in a way the purpose of because i was in an agency-based environment before this had moved to wanting to build sort of contracts not based on hours and i figured out how to do that and produce value because implementations became repeatable and easy but the, the, the actual results of the work was actually more better so you deserve to get paid for that and you know i think as we move towards speak that's also what we're doing we took in what in the past were very complex processes to make them repeatable and doable and not even have to have us do them manually. Obviously, that's the point of, of, of what we've uh, put together here. And I guess that's all you uh, had some experience with this this week. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, but just sort of this, you know, a, a large media library being presented to us and, uh, you know, the fun that was had of doing some of that manually, but also now figuring out the ways to, to automate that process and, and what that means. Uh, I would be honest, uh, starting with the point when we have the uh, 69 videos uh, exactly which needs to be done on the speak uh, from the Vimeo. And uh, during Monday and Tuesday, I personally felt like, 
what I'm doing in my life, you know, those sort of a mood you can get into uh, in a Vegas, like what I'm doing, why I'm doing something like that. And uh, on the Wednesday, because you have made the progress in first two days, you have created something that makes you excited on Thursdays, like, yeah, okay, I have achieved something at the end of the week. And uh, we don't have we, we don't have the integrations yet on the speak uh, to dump the Vimeo library. Uh, but what I did at least for this round is convert something, what we have as a problem to the opportunity and uh, allow the users moving forward in the next week is they can just put the Vimeo URL on the speak upload platform and it will fetch the details of the metadata like name, description, durations, when, who created, when they created the download URL or everything. So uh, it, it just like the learning lessons for me is like, okay, yeah, something wasn't there, but some, something needs to be done. So it is done now, uh, but how we can convert something uh, into the gold if that's, if that's a raw stone is provided to us. Uh, so that's, I think, so I learned personally in terms of the dumping the large media library move forward, the whole process is completely automated. Uh, but yeah, I had, I had quite a bit ups and downs uh, throughout the week uh, uh, for <laughs> specifically for this. Uh, but yeah, it was fun at the end of the day. And uh, the, the task is done, the customers are happy. We have the automated process and uh, moving forward, anyone can dump this media. So it's a win-win situation for customers at the end of the day for us. I guess it just comes down to it, right? Like, you know, uh, every time, you know, we're just talking about hours versus, um, you know, time or sort of like time versus service base slash value add. And it's like every time someone asks us for a slightly different thing or a slightly different input, that initial load is pretty heavy, you know, and uh, and unfortunately right now, Vatsal, that's falling to, on to you, to be honest, don't really want that to happen again. So um, really trying to figure out ways to avoid that and streamline it and also just prioritize our time. Like we are want to take care of customers, especially ones who are making an investment in us and, you know, um, but also, you know, if you, if, if you take your mind and we split it down into, okay, you know, yes, this is a software company, but if, if I'm thinking of how much time it would take to do this, you know, then you actually would look at that as an unprofitable engagement, right? And, and so what now- if you see the, at the end? Of course, yes. But, you know, that we hope now what happens, the, 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 the best outcome for this is obviously they continue to invest in us, but also that um, other companies, for example, with Vimeo libraries invest in us exactly. to get, get that, get that return. So that's, a, that's a, on an onus on us, even in, in marketing and sales to show that, you know, that, uh, this was a worthwhile, worthwhile capability that was built in and that, um, we can actually sell this to, to other people. So that's a difficult part of like any sort of task is actually figuring out and what I'm doing, is that going to pay dividends in the end? Like you're looking at this Vimeo task, am I doing it manually? Like over the next year, over the next you know lifetime of the company, how many hours am I going to be spending doing this manually versus how much time could I spend making this automated? And like, if it makes more sense to, you know, say over the next year, you'll spend like 50 hours doing it manually or maybe 15 hours uh, developing the actual automatic process. So as you have to think more about getting the job done and thinking about the process of it all, it's, uh, it yeah. uh, requires a lot of brain power. Exactly. So what I did is like I spent around six to seven hours, maybe more than that, to dump manually this media, but at the same time spend another three X time to build the fully automated process moving forward. So I just need to run one script, which will dump hundreds and hundreds of media moving forward. So it's like you just put X multiply by X times of opportunity we are going to create for the company in the future. So I mean, that's, that's the angle I look at. It's like, okay, I spent two days to do the whole process, but I mean, that needs to be done. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's just more about opening the opportunity for others and making the process smoother for the customers in the future. Opportunity cost is a big, uh, is a very important number that a lot of people don't really think about too much. Yeah. yeah. And something, you know, something that also sort of stuck out to me as a, a theme this week, which is, you know, and has emerged over the last couple of months where, you know, uh, that's why you went back to India for the first time. 
And, and then obviously I've gone to Miami. Miami's weak, but in India, you're now quite settled. But, you know, prepare, preparing for that period moving up to, or like going to India, a lot of things to take care of. And now even still a lot of things to take care of. So one of the things it's like, even when we say yes to doing something like what you built for this, like it sort of became this critical thing that needed to be done. But at the same time, you know, how can we set up our system, our company that those things are not maybe as as required? And, and really what I guess I'm trying to get is like, how can this, you know, how can the company be self-sufficient when, you know, key people and key people when there's only four people is all people um, need to take a break. You know, uh, if someone's, you know, whatever, buying a house, going on a trip, you know, it's special engagement thing that they need to do. How, how can nothing be disrupted uh, or minimal disruption as possible? And for us, the other big one is like, you know, I made a choice this week and that's the opportunity cost that you also talk about, Lauren, which is like, okay, I can, you know, go to Miami and I can have some fun. Uh, but, in, you know, obviously you had lots more than fun, but, um, it, it, you know, built really good relationships and stuff there. But also that's a week not at home, for example, reaching out to new leads, trying to generate new sales, you know, all these things. So we can't have it so that if one of, you know, say I say that happens that our, our growth slows, that's one thing that we can't have. So I think, you know, Nihal and I have been working to build this sort of outbound process. We've already got the inbound process going and continues to grow, but how do we build both of those pipelines to be very robust and, you know, and working on ways to do that. So just quickly, Inbound, one of the ways we talked about, you know, that's this week is, you know, the important of us, for example, getting obviously sort of this um, onboarding properly so that there's like a hands off, you know, journey through our system. And, you know, hopefully at a higher percentage than what we're seeing now automates the adoption of our product and increases the sales and revenue. So those are some of the pieces that I'm really starting to think about. Um, and when we do that and there's a hands off growth engine that we have here, that's truly valuable company. Um, so really want to start to, I mean, we've always been focused on that, but it was a big, you know, another sort of clicking moment for me over the last week. And even as Vatsa went to India, how important it is for us to, to figure this out. Yeah. It's like also when I moved here, I didn't took any single day break. So it was quite a bit of haptic schedule for me. It's like, because in the morning I had a lot of things to done and it's like in the afternoon I reached other critical stuff going on at the same time. So it, it, it is and it was very tough uh, in the beginning, but now it's pretty settled. Uh, I would say I had pretty good schedule uh, in terms of uh, my personal day to day. So, uh, and in, in terms of the task, uh, it actually depends because I, I personally didn't find anything. It's like, okay, uh, that could be handled in terms of the automation side, uh, but we need to build this automation process. Like now we learn, okay, what are the key key things needs to be automated if I, you, Nihal, Lloyd is not there? It's like that part's still going on or that bill is still moving. So yeah, just the learning relation because I moved for the first time here in India and so I still managing uh, around 18 hours, to be honest, or just have six or five and a half hours sleep. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, still being productive. So that's the challenge and that's, it comes a lot to like the actual bottleneck, whatever that may be within the company, because it matters like what's going to stop when we're not around, what's going to stop moving. Like when it comes to like the actual software, like that's, you know, that's why the, it's beautiful, like for potential growth there, because we can take a vacation for a month and we're still going to get software expense or software uh, subscriptions coming in and going. But when it comes to actual like human transcription, it's very hands-on if we're not there it comes to a, like a dead halt. So we have to automate that the most. And then also with other, uh, other contracts too, it depends on like how much hands-on stuff is actually there. So the more processes we can get to like hands-off, then there's really no concern about, you know, people being off on holidays and such like that. But that requires a lot of, um, a lot of brain power, but I think we have a lot of good tech behind it already, especially with, uh, just all like the cloud services that are already there. And it's just so, it's a lot easier yeah. to automate nowadays. I think to your point, like even last week when we had like a really good call with some uh, advisors, like colleagues, friends, um, one, one of the um, 
things they mentioned was this, you know, building this culture of documentation and um, trying to get that into your kind of system and processes as early as possible across your different departments, which I think we've been trying to do a bit better, at least since I joined, I feel like I've seen that, that growth as well. Um, but maybe even being more, um, more, more, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? More determined around it, like uh, actually being, making it an active part of our business process to, you know, anytime we do a new initiative or we have very integral, uh, in, uh processes, how do we make sure that those are documented, kind of disseminated across the company? and uh, stored in a central place as well so that anyone can technically refer to it and act upon the information that's in there, right? So we, we have our knowledge base for customers, for example, but maybe trying to build a bit more complex ones for internal use, right? Whether that's on the marketing side, the engineering side, um, or like sales, admin, wherever, wherever that might be. In my view, actually depends on the actually depends on the team size. Let's say if I if I'm working with another ten engineers, yes, that that is definitely the most requirement to have in place. Uh, at the same time, let's say if you're dealing with two uh, or three, it, it is very understandable, transparent, know each and every point. So on that point, I mean, in in my personal view, it's like it actually depends because let's say. And in that stage, if you spend five hours, yes, that is productive, which needs to be done. Okay, that part documented, that needs to be done. Uh, but uh, let's say 50% half, we still can spend on something creating or building uh, or either selling, so. Oh, for sure. Uh, like, uh, I, I think the second part of that is definitely when you, if you are the person executing and creating the processes, it's, it's, it's kind of tough to dedicate time for the, I guess, documentation when there's no immediate, I guess, business-focused return on that time investment, right? Um, it's, it's more of just a long-term uh, initiative. Yeah. At, the, yeah. at the same time, because things are changing rapidly, it's like what was there in this, let's say, the embeddable record, the human transcription flow, things have changed uh, uh, quite a bit, at least on the technical end. So it, it actually depends on that too. Uh, but it's like how how do how to make it automated? That was the question uh, uh, from Talis. Like, so what 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 do you think? Uh, one of the things I think you know is I mean interesting is well I get it's what we say yes and no to you know from a, a day to day standpoint um, there's not that many critical issues you know what I mean the critical issues come from us continuing to push on an innovation and building new features and functionality in, right? And then we, you know, we release quickly, deploy, and usually that's where, you know, and that's no one's real fault. That's, you know, a battle right now of basically a one-man army uh, in multiple cases, right? So like, I think that's for us is, you know, for moving forward, it's to be very strict with what we say yes or no to, you know, and being very honest to ourselves is if this is worthwhile, and not trying to be mean or anything, because it's always like trying to help our customers the best, but it's like, no, we don't do that right now. Or no, that's that's in our pipeline, but you know, that's that's not coming because that's where I think the the friction um adds up sometimes. Um, and you know, it's it's nice again when you get a request and we go, Oh, that this is really cool. You know, I'd love to implement this for you, but that triggers so many different events that um that and especially like you know, the goal was to not build, of course, there's these implementation stuff, but it's not to build that kind of company. It's that we build a product that's valuable enough where we produce, we build our own timelines. We're not on the timelines of others. So I think it's really deliberate choices that um, we need to, to make moving forward. Uh, because one thing that, uh, you know, stucks out, like it sort of pains me to hear, uh, you know, in a way that's all just, you know, just, I mean, again, I know that you like what you're doing and all this stuff, but it's like when you go home to India and stuff, you should just get time to sp spend time with your family and friends and be home because, you know, I don't, I'm not a believer in the kind of, I guess, companies that we used to have in the past where it's like, no, 
working all the time is what produces the best work or, you know, that that leads to the best outcomes. It's not true. It's like, I feel, yeah, I feel very rejuvenated after this week, spending time with people, you know what I mean? Having some fun, spending time with friends. And it's like, if you don't take those moments, then you don't get to come back to work with a fresh mind or inspired or new, new, new sources of information to take into your, your daily life. So that's something I want to foster and encourage here. And, you know, we need to then make very deliberate choices to, to, to make that happen. Um, and also be complete opposite. You cannot be more productive, more energetic, more enthusiastic about what you're doing. You can be done. The work you can done in 10 hours, it, it might take 15 hours because it's just like you are so frustrated or you are so much into different things that doesn't produce the productivity. So uh, I was just reading, uh, it was on the Twitter thread from, uh, uh, from the micro acquire guy uh, about the same price. Like, I mean, that we already know and that we're trying to do, uh, but at the same time, there is a, a bottleneck. It's like, okay, uh, there are a couple of things needs to be off the table, uh, but okay, let's have one to take a one week break. And, uh, and it needs to be delivered <laughs> on the end of the week, how, how, how or what we can do there. So, I mean, the one thing we did is like pushing the, the hiring process quicker, uh, but of course it does take time to find the, the, the quality people uh, at the same time. It's like, uh, we can train them and uh, we also want to give the opportunity to uh, new new professors, uh, which I had an interview with a couple of people uh, uh, this week. But at the same time, it is a lot of work uh, to hire the professor and they give the training. So. It's like, how, how do you balance that or hire the mid experienced person and get them on the board quickly and, and you know, get things moving. So, yeah. I, don't know. I also feel like freshers, they have more of the, uh, they're in more of the mindset of learning because they're just coming out of a four or five year stint of, you know, constantly learning on their own dime too. So when you get them in fresh, you can, their mind is already set to learn. So you can, have them understand how the business actually operates a lot quicker because they're already in the, they already have the habit of learning. This was, I mean, a, a lesson from, you know, one of the lessons from this week and it was, you know, fascinating because it's like some people are, are very connected and so they're able to raise, raise capital very easily. And in some ways, you know, Organize, organizations that were at this conference, they're, you know, very successful at raising capital, even without, I would say, that much from a business development perspective, or a lot of unknowns, a lot of variables that don't quite add up in your mind when you're reading about the company or learning about the company uh, and all that. But, you know, what that thing that, you know, I, I see as a challenge here is, you know, what they can afford is to show, for example, show up at a conference with, you know, booths good advertising, you know, really build a presence there, even without that much else, to be honest, just because they have the, you know, the, the capital to be able to do that. And the other pieces like as Vatsal's, you know, looking at these people or we're trying to hire people. It's like, in a way we're, we have, we're sometimes filtering out some of the top people that we would love to hire because you can't afford to pay them the premium that th those expected. So, you know, it would be fantastic if that's all, instead of, you know, hiring a developer, of course, a fresher, it's good to train and stuff, but what about someone who has 10 years experience and can come and execute, you know, inside, we were already talking about time versus execution here, like the sacrifice that's being made in that regard, right? And and then just lastly, I had a sort of a chance encounter. I was sitting down at the beach in Miami and uh, um, I bumped into Jordan uh, and Hunter from Yak. And Yak, we've sort of followed this journey. And, uh, you know, they, they went straight venture capital, went to seven and a half million dollars. They raised after some early adoption and some support from Slack and a couple of organizations. And they've had lots of challenges and, and stuff, but, you know, had a good chance to chat with them there and just talk about the trajectory of companies and fundraising and what the consequences of that are and everything. And, uh, you know, it's just, what's amazing even with this microdose team is seeing them go to from two people to I think 17 people now, because they had that injection of capital and allowed them to pull off an event like that. So in some cases, again, there's tension and problems that are created there. And I can see that stress and, and but at the same time, it affords you opportunities and it also affords 
friends, community, team members who are talented and want to work together uh, to grow. And that's a really uh, exciting thing and, and, and something that I think I want to be a part of. And I know that all you guys want to be a part of uh, as well, too. So figuring out how to execute on that so that we can take these next steps, knowing that we are actually confident in our tech, confident in our team, that if we actually get capital and deploy that capital, that's going in a worthwhile place. Um, those are some of the other sort of moments that I had this week of like, you know, not that we deserve, but that if we, if we get this capital that we should be able to get, you know, that we're going to do worthwhile things with it. So that was another big, big thing. I sort of came to me this week. Just one thing stuck to me. You talk about the, uh, a couple of companies you have met throughout the week who don't have the much in the business development side. It's like, what are the three things you have, I mean, found talking to these people uh, and also one of the point you had said earlier is like, you also found the, the wealth or you also might have felt wealth over, over there, like, you know, talking to these people. It's like, what are the three things they personally have in their personality that pull up getting the uh, uh, funding or, uh, you know, without even having a product, is that the confident? Is that the, the, the convincing power? Is that the personality? What does that what are the parameters looks like? Why, how someone can get without the product or not enough much development with those many variables? Yeah. Whether that be positive or negative. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's definitely an age factor. I do see that. Like there are young, obviously there's young people who are being able to raise capital, but generally the companies, the people who I'm talking about who sort of fit this description are, are led by, you know, honestly, mostly primarily older white men um, who have you either, you know, the most of them who have seen a multiple exit or financial, they were in fi financial or banking sector for a long time. So they built relationships with people who had capital and could access that when necessary. Um, so I think there's that, that, that seemed to be a big trend because what you realize is happens, these people raise capital, then they're just business creators they just put people in place to run it they don't care about they don't even want to do it they find a ceo and they just put them in and, and then they make the company grow so that was like one thing that a lot of people are doing this they see an opportunity specifically in psychedelics they raise a bunch of capital hire the team and say hey go take a go take a, a try to take a swing uh at this I, I would say the other thing though that i you know that stuck out to me which is people will take money without people will take money very quickly and sometimes without thinking about the terms or the consequences of it. Um, and, you know, sometimes that works out really well. Some of the people who I saw there have, you know, taken on money and they just use that momentum to continue to drive through. But I had good conversations with other people who had done the opposite, who took money because they needed the money, they wanted the money and it ended up them losing their company. Or, you know, now it's a shell of a company that they are just like an employee. And so it's like the people who I saw from the capital injection, maybe not with the sounder business piece, I think they look really good right now. But I think that's why they talk about the failure in five years. So many of these companies will actually fall because they didn't build some of the fundamentals that were required. And they took money in ways that were not good for the long term health and sustainability of the company. So uh, definitely saw some of that. That was two. I don't know if there's a third. Are they newbies? Uh, do, you, do you put them as a newbies? In, in, no. In terms of, uh, get... there's, the, there's a group of people who are just like, I'm here to make money. You have money. I'm going to take your money. You know what I mean? And just pour, pour it into the business and then just hope but, that they can take, make it happen. Like, I, like, like ride the IPO asking. wave. Yeah, exactly. Like just, the, yeah. It's just they built it's, itself. Yeah. Some some people are confident, maybe maybe overconfident, something not. But it's like if if I can pull enough capital in here, uh, something will happen. You know what I mean? And and honestly, in the end, they're not taking as big as risk. Maybe they're gonna screw up some relationships with people, but they're paying themselves through. They're paying their team throughout, and they're pulling that capital into the business to take that risk, to take that opportunity. Um, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I do think there's a level of a killer instinct that I saw this week that I possibly still need to figure out myself. I think in the end, being that, you know, the nice guy who like, who actually wants to help and, and create solutions is really important for long-term success. But I'm not sure that sometimes when you're trying to expedite or speed up that, 
that it's the way that you need to go. There's some aggressiveness that needs to be had. There's some competitiveness and um, some some drive that that needs to take place. Just out there's, of curiosity. Sorry, go ahead. No. That's all right. There's a there's a golden mean to that between like ethical use of money and straight up sharkiness, as you put it. Yeah, and just out of curiosity, okay, both of the things were connected with the founders or like who are raising the money. But let's say if I'm the VC, and if I have the money, I have at least those capability to understand if I'm giving money to let's say Nihal, right? Is like he just presented me the idea. I was like, I'm also giving the money, so I'm also have the what's the word? It's like enough smartness. It's like okay, I'm definitely enough smart, smarter to understand. Uh, what he's trying to sell me. It's like why I'm investing to, to, to his company. It's like we see a lot of companies in multiples. It's like, is that the factor with the VCs or the investors? It's like, because they, they know that there's no, the business product are much there. It's like there's so much higher risk. It's like- But, but I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like now, especially in this whole like, crazy market a lot of nouveau riche people right like people that just lucked into their money by like making a really you know like oh they early adopter in crypto or early whatever right they hit this point where they have a lot of money and you'll actually see a lot of people that you know are have like suddenly became millionaires starting their own like vc or like you know switching their linkedin profile to angel investor right and it like i i feel like there is a lot of dumb money in the market as well, where people have such high risk tolerance, even as investors, that if they see something that even resembles uh, disruption, right, they're, they're willing to just kind of throw a dart at it and hope it sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not trying to badmouth Miami or something, but I feel like a lot of American VC culture, especially, um, at, at least the newer ones, the ones that are maybe not as, not as experienced in the space, right? Like I think they tend to, they tend to chase the, uh, the pot of gold, right? It's uh, let's, let's kind of throw our darts and maybe one of the ones we, I mean, a, a lot of VCs do that, but I think the more established ones do definitely drive a harder bargain, potentially want more of your company, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically put a lot of the risk on you while I think a lot of new wave money is open to even sharing more of that risk themselves, right? And in exchange for a potential moonshot. Um, at least at least that's how I feel about the current state of VC firms. Because we saw it even in terms of, you know, when because since we're raising right now and Tyler got the chance to speak with, was it two or three so far? Two? One? Yeah. But so, 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 <laughs> like, you know, like the last... Uh, like some of the feedback from the previous, um, I guess, previous conversations was, you know, the fact that we have a working business was almost a detriment to raising capital, right? Because it's like, oh, you, you, you're already so far along in your kind of revenue and even a committed uh, capital uh, journey that it doesn't even make, it doesn't make sense for us to hop on this train because you know, maybe you'll only be get, able to give us seven and a half percent when we want 15%, right? And it, it's kind of tough uh, navigating that, uh, that chasm I find. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing any of that, but I'm sure it must be tough for, <laughs> for you guys to, to navigate as well. So um, I know it's just what you said that right now, there's a lot of people, you know, it's, when you're in an emerging sector, everyone's very excited, right? So what they were talking about on the one panel is that valuations are through the roof because there's just overall enthusiasm and excitement. And then when you bring in the idea of say psychedelics and, and mental health, people feel very personally excited and emotional and supportive of that cause, right? So when you rally those things together, it creates way overvalued companies and you know a lot of money being poured in because people are mixing emotions in with capital. And, you know, as I've talked to some of the companies that are further along in the space who are actually going for larger fundraisers now, now as there's been some things that happened, so the one big company released results um, for their big, big clinical trial literally during the conference and it sort of sent shockwaves through the conference because they were good, but they were not as good as what people thought. And that had ramifications for the entire industry. And now what happens is that you know, these companies are now being judged on the more on the fundamentals of their business, which is what is your revenue? What is your, you know, EBITDA? What is your, 
you know, it, it, what's your path to profitability? And most of these people, when it comes down to it, are not going to have answers to these. And, and what I you know, also see is that from an investment perspective, most of us in our own lives, in a way, we're all telling ourselves some version of a story or some version of a lie. And it's like almost, we've had this experience talking to a VC where it's like, you're almost fabricating the story together with an investor that in four years, you're going to be at $70 million in revenue. And some companies will actually execute on that, but most likely it's like 99% will not. So that's that it's that fabrication of that, you know, that that journey is what actually leads to a lot of this investment. And, uh, and, and that's a killer and maybe in a good way or bad way, it's sort of a killer instinct. It's also ego confidence belief that you're capable of that. Um, and, uh, and sometimes that's a very successful things and leads to amazing outcomes in life and business. Sometimes it's not. Um, but definitely something to, to, to think about. And I think from our perspective, I've been cautious in a way because when I look at growth or I look at even companies that we're now seeing who have prioritized growth over everything, there's very difficult, dangerous long-term ramifications to that. And obviously, like, you know, when I think of the most prominent example, maybe right now is something maybe like I would say Facebook or Meta, which, you know, because they just drilled into advertising revenue, which was such a big driver of the business, it's now had long-term consequences for the entire world, for their reputation as a brand, for anything that they do now. So those are the consequences of you choosing that path of this ambitious, you know, billion dollar journey, IPO journey, is that no matter what you do, no matter how good you are at the start of that, when you set those expectations and then you make you know, inject capital, set on those expectations, you are going to make significant compromises along that journey to be able to achieve that. Not all of those are somewhat good, somewhat maybe ethical, because you need to, um, you know, uh, get to the value that you that you created and get the return for these investors who bet big on you in these early discussions. I think we also have now the good story. It's like, why do we, I mean, we always had the good story about telling to the investors, like, why do we need the investment and it's like, where are we gonna spend? But I also personally feel more confident about where and how we're gonna spend because the platform is there. Let's say we don't want to recreate the platform, but we're going to give that experience to the users. It's like, everything is there, but still need to recreate the whole user experience in terms of the feeling, the design, the aesthetic, the branding, the definitions of what is PKI. So it's like, there's a lot more to do. And it's like, at the same time, even releasing the Android iOS app, giving them hands-on experience about everything which you don't get or analyze everything on your phone. That, that sounds the great story. It's like you can analyze anything on your phone within X minutes. It's like, I don't know. I personally feel more confident uh, in terms of, it's like, when we're going to spend those money? It's like right here, yeah. giving the better user experience to the existing customer, not the futuristic customer. It's like there are huge differences yeah. between that. I, I agree. And I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, and I apologize, you know, I apologize that it's, you know, I, I'm, I haven't been able to make this ha happen. Like I have the confidence don't now. For anything. I know, but you know, it's just what I, what I, what I, what I see that same thing. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm still, obviously we know where there's flaws in our systems, but overall, like I had some people who are actually used our system that I met at the conference and, you know, they understood like, you know, we're a small company doing this, but they're like, they're like the ethos of what you're building. You know what I mean? Like the actual backing, the, like the, the, they just see the vision and they just think it's so beautiful. And I, I see that. I feel that. And it's like with just a few things and we know exactly what those things are, we end up with a stunning product. You know what I mean? And like a massive value created. And so it's like having that confidence and, and making sure that that shows up in places is definitely, you know, something that I, I need to do. And um, I just want to see everyone with the team and the resources they require because, uh, you know, we're so, I feel like, all, like always I've said this, we're so close yet there's a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, in some ways it's just getting the right partners to help us make that happen. And, and I know we will, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's the lessons that you learn along the way. And, you know, even if we've seen from the feedback, like I share pretty feedback, pretty open with you guys, as I has conversations with investors, the feedback has changed a lot. You know what I mean? Like the, it's gone from, I, I don't know. 
yeah, like, I don't know what the first one was. Like, I don't know what's going on here too. Now it's like for this technical region of like this allocation and X, Y, this is why we can't do it. Those are very different reasons of why. Um, and I think to just continue to power through that until we get the right person at the right time uh, who sees our vision and wants to help us build it. That's 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 coming and it's on its way. And again, thank you for your guys' patience as we continue to, to, to figure that out. And also a matter of like how we, presented to because I feel like we're kind of very reactive to the feedback we get to and it kind of sets our path of where we're taking it as well like we again we do have our original ethos but it's more a matter of presenting that in the most uh, appealing way I get deeper into conversations with investors after we crossed I would say the, the original sort of barricades of questions of validating if you're even worthwhile to continue the conversation. The question that then comes up is where do you, what kind of company do you want this to be in three, five, 10 years? Mm -hmm. That's the question that comes after, after I've seen, we've, I've successfully explained the first part. Um, if, if you don't even successfully explain the first part, they won't ask you that next part. Right. Um, but, uh, and that part, you know, that part, I, you know, I, I'm starting to get really good at articulating as well too, but, some reason and uh, you know getting some support on this with some people right now there's still this last sort of trigger you know what i mean this execution standpoint of hey you know this is a standard post money safe you know um we're we're gonna close our first tranche in you know two weeks at this valuation do you want in or do you not want in um if not the valuation is going to go up x um you can come in at the next tranche or if not the next you know kind of thing and that's the path that i think a couple of people are trying to help us get to. And I, you know, that we've seen people with a lot less than us articulate properly and be successful. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's a journey and, you know, in some ways it's tough because I'm taking time away from what I would like to do, which is figuring out how to make our product better to have these conversations, but it's also a necessary one to make sure that we can even have those, uh, uh those conversations. Like you have to, uh, you have to really explain like what you want out of like the deal you're trying to make. Like a lot of people are trying to make the deal of, I want investments so I can close and exit right away. But you're trying to make the, the deal of, I want to run this personally. I want to keep this going for as long as possible. And then at that point, you just tell a story of, well, you know, where is it going to be in five to 10 years then? Why, what are you, why are you doing this as opposed to just an exit right away? Why do you want to keep this going for as long as possible? So. I know we're coming on time here, but I, I talked to uh, some investors the other day who will run, um, they run like small market companies. So basically companies that are going public in Canada. And it, I always almost like in a way, a curious figure to them because they're used to people who are again, capital raised and then they just put a CEO and that CEO is then responsible for going around and raising money. But they're like, Oh, you are actually in this. You love, you know, you actually love this shit. And that question that it comes of like, you know, uh, how, you know, uh, and how excited are you once you, you know, you exit, you know, exit this to go on to what you want to do next. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of room here with what we're doing. Like, I don't, that, that doesn't really cross my mind at this moment. I'm like, there's so much beauty that we can execute on here if we do this right. Uh, once that happens, maybe, but that's not really what I'm thinking about right now. So, um, you know, definitely, that in some cases works, but I think in, in other ways, it actually counteracts. I think people view maybe myself as an untraditional sort of business person and CEO, you know, like I think the fact that I almost don't have that quality is a sort of a scary thing. They're used to people who are just in for cash and that that's helps set them because at least they know, oh, this person's just in it for money. Hey, we're in it for money you know, at least this person's running on the right way where I, you know, like to talk about the sustainability or keeping control of the company or the, the value of this technology. Um, so uh, working on all that, again, thank you for all the support. I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, it's like we with, uh, your, with your standard, I was like, what's this saying? It's like, uh, um, I forgot the word, but it's like, uh, keep your standards high. It's like, uh, we don't need to bend down with, with what others want to do try to get from the process or something i don't want to lie either like there's people who are straight up maybe it's not a bad maybe i don't know how to classify but they're just lying you know what i mean you have no idea you're going to make 70 million dollars in three years like i maybe I, again it's belief is important to set these massive things and then figure out how to accomplish it like that's how things get done if we're say we're only going to make a million dollars in five years we're that's the best outcome is that we hit that 
you know, so stretching our beliefs beyond limit is very valuable thing. But at the same time, you know, if you detach the emotion from it and, and that belief, it's like, how do we get there from a strategic, valuable data-driven point using our last, you know, our previous experience and data to, to get there? And that's one thing I struggle with where we're seeing a lot of pitch decks that, you know, that traditional, for example, hockey stick. And that's just a bunch of guys just plugging away at numbers in an Excel sheet until they make that graph happen with no attachment to reality. And that's something I personally struggled with a lot where I said, there's still a lot of unknown variables here. We don't know if we're gonna get to this number here, but I can tell you what, we're building something that's valuable. Our customers are showing us the signals are there and here's what we need to do to bring this to the next level. All that's there. So um, yeah. Sorry guys. I said I, went, I said I couldn't talk. What the fuck? Sorry, I shouldn't speak. Do you guys have Just any? To end on end on our this conversation is like uh, let's hope for the best that uh, we all have this story to tell uh, in the future. It's like uh, this this is the office hour where we talk about raising money and another episode where we talk about here we raise the money. I hope so, sir. I hope so. Uh, and uh, then we'll all just buy Lamborghinis. I'm kidding. That was a joke. Uh, that is, <laughs> uh, no, uh, we are one thing that has stuck out. I said that before, but just like one thing that really blows people's mind is the say capital efficiency um, and saying, you know, we're the top top percentile of that as a company. And that that's a really powerful thing. And if we continue to build that in, um, you know, as a, as part of a core piece of our business, then you can make it very, very far. The also part that I, I, I don't want to be is cheap. And that's one thing that I realized too. Like it's been nice hanging out with the Microdose team over the week. And th these guys worked really hard on this event. And so it's like after the event, like, you know, they're obviously taking care of the dinners and taking care of the drinks and all that stuff. And that's like also an important part of building the culture. And it's like when you get that work to be able to show your team how much you care and that, you know, that those, you know, that's a really important part. And that's something that stuck out to me this week as well, too, is they want to have the opportunity to be able to do that because we've all worked really hard to get where we are today. And sometimes we haven't necessarily got, um, I think the, you know, the rewards that we deserve, whether that's you know, obviously financially, but also just time together, you know, fun events and things. And I hope, you know, next time that there's an opportunity, we can end up, we fly somewhere, you know, uh, or, or, or speak AI Burning Man 2022. You know what I mean? The, the things that really make a difference in coming together as a team and a company to grow. Um, so, all right, I'm done. I'm off my, uh, whatever it is. Uh, any other things before we wrap this up, guys? This was a good one. This was a good long one. Michal, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Too much. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I appreciate this. It was nice to nice to touch base with you guys. It's been a long week, man. I've uh, definitely have some things to think about this, and I do look forward to going back to cold Toronto uh, and just getting. It's hot here, man. <laughs> uh, so I, I would take that any day of the week. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It's you know, man. It's just the last couple last things on Miami. It's been very interesting. Like I'm in a neighborhood. I got an Airbnb because I knew I was staying for a bit longer, and like. The, the 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 sort of low income neighborhoods are so close with high wealth neighborhoods like if i go left difficult neighborhood if i go right it's mansions and that's that's been a really you know i don't know just a very interesting sort of experience to have um uh, too and you know there's just anywhere you go in this way i've seen this sort of divide of wealth like even the people at the conference some people i'm seeing are students who are paying their own ticket and paying their own airplane like thing to get to this other people are multi-million dollar backed or multiple exit companies so this is like a penny to them and this is what they do every week so it's definitely been a very interesting to see this divide of where intelligence and wealth and affluence and even just luck of the draw of where you end up in your life or how you're born can take you um so yeah definitely an uh, awakening that's, from that perspective that's what happened when when you when you uh, travel the world because oh that's all yeah, yeah. Know, <laughs> uh, we, we had the stories about yeah. that uh, yeah, yeah. just like that's how you get the experience and how exactly. the turning points in your life uh, I think it's very interesting because, yeah, you know, to, to Fatsal's point as well, it's like, I remember back in university, I mean, not to drag this on too long, but we went on a, uh, 
it, it was this trip where basically a bunch of business students from uh, McGill went on this uh, like 10 day uh, trip. So, so we went to um, the Philippines and Hong Kong mainly, right? And it was one of those things where Manila, for example, in the Philippines, and I think you see this, it's funny to hear you say this about the States, which is like one of the richest countries in the world, because, you know, this happens all the time in like India, like China, like Hong Kong, wherever you go in like low and middle income countries where there's just wealth and then everywhere around it is just poverty. Right? Um, and the number of people that actually came on this trip, um, like of the like 30 people that went, I'm pretty sure like 28 of them came from like, you know, like, like family, like wealth and like generational wealth, whatever it is. And for example, when we went to the Philippines, right? I remember at the time this being so weird, but we went on a tour of like the slums, right? Like the slums by the water, right? And it, it was just such a like to see how these people, because I've, I've seen poverty before and like I've seen what that looks like, uh, you know, but for a lot of people that haven't seen that, like yeah. their kind of reaction to it was very indicative of, their world experience and you know when you see these people that go on like oh I'm, I'm a world traveler like what they mean is i'm going to a resort in cancun or i'm you know a high rise in dubai like what, <laughs> whatever it is right it's not uh, oh i've seen what other people live like <laughs> so i mean it's interesting to kind of see how your introspection of that leans i guess closer to you know I want to say the right side <laughs> than uh, yeah. oh I want to live the way these these people do right kind of detached from from the reality of the common common person yeah so. different definitions of it, I suppose different perspectives exactly of what they yeah. think the world is yeah. hey guys good good talking with you today hopefully uh, you know hopefully you guys have a good weekend let me know if you need anything. Um, I'll be I'll be back in full force uh, next week, so look forward to that. And uh, thanks again for everything this week. Why it was a little bit of a yeah, I don't even know. I don't have a word yet. I'm still figuring that out. I mean, but, uh... just, enjoy, just enjoy your your last day there. Man. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you summer. so much. All right. <laughs> yeah. Bye guys. See ya.